This is the word of the Lord. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Uh, Each week as I'm getting ready uh, for Sunday, uh, I generally write my sermon. I I always tend to end up writing the introduction last, which may seem odd, but I do. Uh, And one of the things I try to do at the beginning of each introduction, as they teach you in homiletics classes, you need to find something to grab their attention, to draw them into the text. And some weeks that comes easy and uh, it it works out well. Some weeks it doesn't come so easy. (laughs) And I'm trying to find that anecdote from my own life, maybe a, a reference to something that might draw us in. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's hard. Sometimes I come up with an idea that's so obscure from something I've read or something, uh, music I've listened to or, or movie I've seen that you just won't, you won't get it. Or, or perhaps uh, I think of something, but it's, it's not really appropriate uh, for the context I once heard a story of, of a pastor who had an inter-office issue between two of the employees of the church, and, and he helped mediate a reconciliation, but then thought it was a good idea to go to a Sunday school class and talk about these two people by name and how they had a problem in the office, and it made a whole stink. Some analogies, while they may fit the situation, just aren't appropriate for the for the Uh, for the context of where we do things. But think if I came up here today and I just used a very shocking story to get your attention. And I've gone through several and and it's hard to really come up with one. Uh, The closest I could come with, I think, is if you've ever seen the movie, movie, excuse me, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan is a, it's a World War II movie, and, and if you have seen it, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, I don't I'm not standing here recommending it. Uh, but the, the gist of this movie was uh, there was a, a woman, and it's based upon a true story, a woman who had, I think it was five sons, and four had died. And one was still alive in World War II, and, and a, a, a group of men were sent to find him to bring him home uh, so that This woman would not lose all her sons. And in the process, the majority of the men who went to get him ended up dying. And you might go, well, that's an interesting analogy, Daniel. That's an interesting story. You kind of have our attention, but that's somewhat depressing, somewhat gruesome. uh, and And it is. And as we come to our text today, we have something very similar going on. It's a story 
about a father who sent his son to die a gruesome death. Not an easy death, a death that was covered in blood. And there's, in some ways, where even that teaser, you might go, oh, I see what you're doing there. Yeah, you're talking about Jesus. Yeah, we've heard that story. We know the story. Yeah, where Jesus died on the cross. And, and at, there's at times where I think we can be tempted to gloss over so quickly. And we have been going on for, for many weeks talking about the blood of Jesus. And we go, yeah, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. We can be tempted, I think, to take the gruesomeness of what that means out of the equation. What do I mean by that? When we say that we're covered in the blood of Jesus, we are covered in the spilled blood of Jesus. The actual uh, pouring and shedding of blood from Jesus. It wasn't a symbolic thing. It wasn't that, oh yeah, the blood of, of, of bulls and goats in the Old Testament were poured on the altar. And in a, in, a, in a similar way, but not exactly the same way, Jesus, we're covered in Jesus' blood. No. It's not just similar. We are covered in the spilled blood of Jesus. And this passage exalts in the spilled blood of Jesus. It exalts in it. And to some, they may look at that and go, and this was, has oftentimes been a, a complaint against Christianity. That is barbaric. They may even say today, that's archaic. Why would you even want to believe in a deity that sheds blood at all, let alone a deity who would shed the blood of what he calls his own son? That's horrific. And they're not wrong. Not that why should you not believe in them, but it is horrific. Today we come across a passage that exalts in this, that takes this theme of Christ's blood that has been hinted at over and over again, that Christ is the great high priest, that Christ has made sacrifice, that takes this theme of the atoning blood of Christ, the pouring out of his blood, and makes his sacrifice very explicit. It's why... Another problem throughout the history of the church is, and there's been many, some, some today are so far removed from us that we don't get it, but when you think about some of the songs we sing, and you really think about them, there is a fountain filled with blood. Think about the imagery there. If you don't know Christianity and you think about that, a fountain, so think about if you've ever been to a park or something, filled with blood. That flows from Emmanuel's veins. The imagery is very startling, isn't it? I think we can sometimes gloss over the, the, the image of this. Or, or think about nothing but the blood. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What is the flow that's being talked about there? It's the blood. Again, the word fount. Fountain. 
Jesus' blood has covered us. Throughout the book of Hebrews, Jesus has been compared to many things. We've seen that he's greater than Moses, greater than Aaron, that the new covenant is greater than the old covenant, that the heavenly tabernacle is better than the earthly tabernacle. And we really begin to see the culmination of this argument now as we get into verse 11, or excuse me, chapter 11 of verse 10. Verse 11 of chapter 9, excuse me. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the, the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Jesus comes as the better thing, the better sacrifice. He is so much better than what has come before. His blood is better than that of bulls and goats. And so that's what we're going to see today. Three things. The superiority of Christ's blood, the power of Christ's blood, and the purpose of Christ's blood. The superiority of Christ's blood, the power of Christ's blood, and the purpose of Christ's blood. But let's begin by looking at the superiority of Christ's blood. And as a, as a commentary note, um, these are three points I found in a commentary that I love so much. And I like to give credit when credit's due. So th- these are not my three points uh, in their title. The content is, but I like the three title points here. So the superiority of Christ's blood, the power of Christ's blood, and the purpose of Christ's blood. Let's begin by looking at the superiority of Christ's blood. The superiority of Christ's blood is evident when we compare it with that which has come before. So we go into verse 12. Uh, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. Christ's blood, as being compared to a superior here, is being compared to that of animals. Christ's blood is superior to the blood of goats and of bulls. Sin and death were the things that had defiled us since the fall. And sacrifices in the temple sought to deal with these things. And and one of the things we cannot misunderstand is they had a purpose and they did something. In Israel society, when you went to the sacrifices, they sanctified you in a way. They restored you to fellowship with God. They restored you to fellowship with Israel, Israelite society. Uh, but they were also insufficient because all they could do was, as we've seen, is make you externally clean. They only made you clean on the outside. But you weren't fully clean. You had to be clean internally. We could change the old commercial and say, you're not, what is it? You're not fully clean unless you're internally clean. Was it zestfully clean? Yeah, something like that. They weren't internally clean, so they weren't fully clean. But Jesus' blood, and he came, and he was of infinite more value. They did not possess the same worth that Jesus' blood did. It was God's appointed means of salvation. It was God's will that Jesus' blood would be spilled for us. And Jesus came in obedience and fulfilled this. The blood of bulls and goats was only appointed for ceremonial cleaning. 
for ritual cleaning. It was not internal cleaning. But Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And through his blood, through the working of the Spirit, his blood is applied to us. If you jump down with me for a second to verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. He's offered through the eternal spirit. His infinite and divine spirit absorbed all the wrath of an infinite holy God. Because the sacrifice was spiritual, it cleansed us spiritually, internally in essence. Christ's blood is superior to all else. He came and did what nothing else could do. That means we have to stop resting and trusting and finding security in that which is external. And we continue to do this, right? We continue to offer up external sacrifices in hopes that it will make us holy. How do we do this? We come and we say, you know what? Jesus, to follow after you and to make you like me better or whatever so that I can be externally holy, I'm going to give up this. Or I'm going to do something. I'm going to maintain a daily prayer time and Bible study time and in efforts to externally clean myself so that I can be made holy before you. Now, I, I say that and don't hear me say, I'm not saying that daily prayer time is bad. I'm not saying it's, in fact, I think it's necessary needed. It's when our heart posture is to do it in an effort to justify ourselves. It's our heart behind it that I'm talking about here. Or it says, I'm going to... Um, Use my jobs or families or possessions, whatever it is, and trust on these things. And we can't do that. And we even do this internally where we look to self and say, I'm good enough or I'm special enough. Or, or we rest in our arrogance and pride. And Jesus comes and says, no, my blood is sufficient for you. Rest in me. Trust in me. Rest firm in the sacrifice that I have made because he spilled his blood for you. You talk about the, the blood of bulls and goats. And you're like, oh. there was something of, that they were giving up in the Old Testament. That's true. Because they, they were called to give the best of their stock, weren't they? And they weren't having to make a sacrifice of that. And it was a real, we, we cannot belittle the sacrifice they were making because it was a God-commanded sacrifice. But when you compare the blood of bulls and goats with the blood of Jesus Christ... How much more infinite, infinite is that sacrifice? Because it has power. This is our second point. The power of Christ's blood. Christ's purpose as high priest is to bring us to God. He reconciles us to God. He does this as we've seen through his blood. And what does he do? He offered himself without blemish to God 
to purify our conscience from dead works. Jesus' blood has the power to purify our conscience from dead works. What is conscience? There's several things we can say about conscience. Uh, I think that the easiest way for us to grasp grasp this, and I'm going to use this analogy because I think our children uh, can grasp this analogy. Uh, If you've ever seen the movie Pinocchio, right? Have you ever seen the Nate, Gracie, have you ever seen the movie Pinocchio? And in Pinocchio, there's this little guy named Jiminy Cricket, right? And and Jiminy Cricket's purpose in, in, in the movie is to keep Pinocchio from doing right or wrong, in essence, to keep him from lying, right? And he sings this little song, right? Always let your conscience be your guide. I, think, I can't remember the rest of it, but something to that effect. He was supposed to be representative of that little voice in your head that says, no, you shouldn't do that. That's not right. And we all have that little voice in our head. Maybe sometimes, and this is speaking completely apart from what Christ does, but it's in there going, I know that you ever had those moments, even if you before you're a Christian or after you're a Christian, where you go, I know I shouldn't do this. And then you go on and do it anyway. I know this isn't right. And you go on and do it anyway. Our conscience for you adults, it may be that little voice who keeps saying to you, you know you're not really good enough, right? How could Jesus love you? If you look at your life, if you look at the scene you've, things you've done, if you look at the way you maybe even today treat people, or, or it's that little whispering voice. And Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And his blood covers that conscience. That little voice that cries out, you're not good enough. And he purifies our conscience from dead works. Christ comes and removes the great condemnation that is our conscience And he says, I have paid it all. So when that little voice creeps up in your head today and says, you're not good enough. Jesus says, that's true, but I am sufficient for you. And I have covered your sin. When your conscience that is now purified, if you are in Christ, comes to you and says, I should not do that. We can go, that is right. And I will hold firm in what Jesus has done. There is no greater burden in this world than the guilt of our sin. And if you don't feel the weight of your sin, then you are just ignoring it. Things we've done to others, things we've done to self, things we've done against God. And your conscience tries to tell you what you deserve. But Christ's blood comes and says, let me tell you what I've done. Isaiah says in 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Much like Isaiah, when we're confronted with God, you remember that moment when Isaiah is confronted with the holy God? What does he cry out? Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the the King, the Lord of hosts. And Jesus comes to us much like, I believe it was an angel later in that verse. And and the angel came with a, a coal and he touched it to his lips, right? And he said this, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. This is what Jesus comes. He comes to us and he pours his blood out as an offering and says, This blood has covered you. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. So even though our conscience may say one thing, Christ's blood says something else. It tells us what God thinks of us. And so hopefully now our conscience recoils at sin because it has been purified by Jesus. He has the power to cleanse our conscience. And this is a wonderful and encouraging truth. There's not any one thing or one person that can accuse us anymore. Not from without or from within. You are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's who you are. That's your identity. And we're tempted to cry out and say, no, I am unclean. But Jesus does not see you as unclean. You have been made clean by him. I love hymns. Would you be free from the burden of sin? Would you or evil a victory win? Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? Would you do service to Jesus, your king? And what does it say? There is power in the blood. There is power in the blood of the lamb. Which leads us to our third and final point. What is the purpose of Christ's blood? If Christ's blood is superior and it has the power to clean our conscience, then what does that move us to? And that's our last thing it says in verse 10, verse 14. He has offered himself without blemish to, to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We are called now to a priestly service. We are called to a priestly service. We don't serve in order to be made clean. We are made clean and therefore we serve. It's this interesting distinction that we oftentimes get flipped, right? That we think we have to serve to be cleaned. No, he has made us clean so we serve. Peter tells us in 1 Peter, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, A people for his own possession. What does the service look like? He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. The external service of priesthood, this royal priesthood, begins today. It begins now. It begins in this life. We are destined for glory, but we have a a purpose to serve the living God that we would be his fitting priesthood. And it is a service of praise to his glorious name. It is a service to proclaiming that we were called out of darkness into life. The cleansing of Christ's blood on the believer is not the end of the story. It is just the beginning. We move from the cleansing to service. We are redeemed in order that we might serve God. And in that service, we discover true freedom. The theologian Charles Spurgeon says this, To serve the living God is necessary to the happiness of a living man. For this end we were made, and we miss the design of our making if we do not honor our maker. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If we miss that end, we are are ourselves terrible losers. The service of God is the element in which alone we can fully live. We must be cleansed from our dead works. Here's the reality. Empires, nations political affiliations, whatever, they're going to fall away. Possessions are going to go to dust. Ambition will be swallowed up by the grave. But we are a priesthood with a holy calling to a service of joy born of gratitude. For we serve a God who loves us enough to shed the blood of his own precious son. We have been cleansed by that blood to serve him as vessels. To have him him pour himself into us. And then for us to pour his glory into this world. It is growth towards him in life and peace and joy. And none of this is possible without the blood of the lamb because it's superior to bulls and goats because it has power to cleanse because it has the purpose of sanctifying us for the service of our God the Christian life is one of service when we talk about our redemption and we use this word and, we, and we've talked about this word before and I'm sure you've heard me say this but redemption is not simply the setting of free. Redemption is taking a slave and purchasing him, out of, purchasing him out of slavery that he may serve God. It's not one of freedom to nothingness. It's freedom to service of God. And it's a wondrous service. We come before him in worship and prayer. We come to be salt and light in this world. It's in his service that we find happiness and life. And the question is this. What is keeping you from this wonderful, life-giving service? And we all, I think we all serve. You know, in many sense, you will hear this term. 
I, I get to on a daily or on a weekly basis preach to the choir, as it, as it were. I have been in a small context, you know, uh, the people in which you're, you're serving with and, and ministering to. But I, I think the question still remains what is keeping you from the wonderful life giving servitude? Because, in as much as I think that we are really, and we are good as a church about serving, we also have those areas. I think each of us has those areas where we keep guarded, don't we? I often hear things like this. Well, I can do just about anything, but I won't do that. (laughs) And not saying that there are not times where we are just things that we're not gifted in. But I think we always have to be asking ourselves the question, what are we holding back? Is the whole of our life one of service? Are we looking for those opportunities on a daily basis, minute by minute, to serve our king? No matter what we're doing. Christ's blood is enough. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is now and we are called to service. Christ's blood is better. Jesus is better. Better than what? Children, if you have your new children's uh, bulletin, that's a question. Jesus in there which I'm thankful for. Jesus is better than what? He's better than everything. He is sufficient for all that you need. He has made redemption for you. His power is enough to cleanse our conscience. He has taken away our sin. He has given us a new identity. Let us not rest on who we are in ourselves, but who we are in Christ. And let us come and serve our King, knowing that he is ours and we are his. That everything we've done or do is done in service to him. That we are to lift up our lives as an offering. As, a, as an offering to, to our king. I think it's one of the hardest things we do. And particularly, it is easy, I think. It's easy for me. I don't know about you. But it is easy for me as a Christian in America to confuse the two. There is so much that we do, I believe, that is done out of the habit of what everybody does around us. And I think sometimes when you look at the church around the world, not always, but in certain places, where the, where the gospel has been most resisted or, or, or is not freely allowed, you find, like, you think about the church in China. Do you think they don't relish every minute that they get to worship God? Knowing that if they're caught, there's a good chance that they'll be arrested. I've had a friend when I was in seminary, he went to China. And one of the things he said, and he was in seminary at the time, he went on summer. And, you know, you're, you're a seminary, not even a seminary grad. And you go over to China and you're, and you're like, oh, I've got a little bit of, you know, I went on for 45 minutes today. I thought that was long. And they're sitting there like, you're done. This is our day of, of worship and study We go on for hours because they relish, they relish that time because they don't get it. I think sometimes we, we can lose, we have such freedom in our country. And yes, even still that we lose 
the freedom that we have in Christ. We confuse the two. That the whole of our life gets to be about service in everything that we do. Because Jesus' blood has been poured out for us and on us. It has covered us and purified us. It's purified our conscience. It's made us clean. My prayer is that that wondrous truth would strike to our hearts, to the very core of who we are, and push us, move us to serve him in the way he has called us to serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Jesus Christ, for his blood poured out. Lord, we ask and pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for this body and even for the many ways in which I already see this in them. But would you refine each of us that we can put to death that which is not from you and we can bring more and more to light that which is good and true and honoring and pleasing to you, knowing that all that we do is a reflection of the blood of Jesus that has been shed for us. We ask and pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.